to the Gridiron Show in association with Touchdown Trips. Getting you... Yes, you! In the game. That's right, Ollie Hunter is back. And it's the beginning of our draft previews. Coming up over the next week, three shows, a mock draft, yes, all the three. defensive players. And today we're going to go through all the big name offensive prospects with Matt Sherry and Simon Clancy. Plus the latest news, this is the Gridiron Show. Welcome to the Gridiron Show in association with Touchdown Trips. We are entering you. the week, you, yes you, in the game. Uh, we are entering draft week. We are just under a week away from day one in Dallas of the 2018 draft. So over the next week, if you, like me and Ollie, have not been like me. boning up <laughs> on, your, boning. <laughs> on your draft knowledge, then you're going to get Simon Clancy, the draft savant, and Matthew Sherry, who's been editing our draft edition. Right, he's the pretender, isn't he? He's trying to be Clancy. And to be fair, pulling back the Iron Curtain, I've already we've already recorded these offensive and defensive roundups, what? What, 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 and uh, he um, he did a good job. What, but you literally chose to sleep instead of be involved. So, no, what you chose to sleep instead of be involved. What do you mean? I thought we were doing it now. No, now we're just doing some news. Yes, now and some ins and outs. <laughs> what do you for the mean? Show. <laughs> I like this. Um, we're just yeah, we're talking about the news. And then we're going to throw to that, and then we're going to do the same for the next show. Although what. By the time our next show comes out... No, 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 no. No, no, forget about that. By the time the next show comes out and we do the defensive positions at the top end of the draft, we might have the schedule. The schedule. Now, I'm not one of... I don't like... Like, we are not... If you want a schedule show, you go to Around the NFL or whoever else. They will go through and they'll tell you their favourite matchups, their favourite Thursday night football matchups, favourite Sunday night football matchups, favourite... All of that nonsense. What we will do is start to look forward to the Gridiron Tour 2018. You can go to touchdowntrips.com right now, pay your refundable £100 deposit to guarantee your place on the tour. Already, yeah. we're in double-digit people putting no down way. a deposit for next year. Idiots. The people who, and, and, <laughs> you know, and the best part of that is all 20, 20 21-odd guys who came last year said they wanted to come back this year. None of them have put down their deposit yet. So this is all new people. Yeah, no, but that's not very good. No, no, it's great because those guys, I think, you know, we, we retain 70, 80% of those guys most likely. There'll be people who drop off. Oh, no, that's not actually true. Uh, one of the father and son duos have played uh, by the yeah, yeah. But I can't remember which one. Um, so, yeah. Packer and uh, Colt guy, isn't it? We've got some, yes, I think it is. We've those got, guys. I, I like that you've forgotten most people's names at this point, Ollie. Well done. It, you guarantee that uh, when we go Clint... Uh, we'll be on the trip <laughs> and I'll have forgotten that he was there like from the last one <laughs> oh, I don't know uh, uh, I miss Clint I miss I Clint K- K- Clint <laughs> as we left the airport was it in I think it was in Carolina uh, where we left the airport to go to the game and there's like A, B, C, D, E as the terminals and it's quite a walk between them probably a ten, five to ten minute walk between each terminal but there's a fast train that takes you between all the terminals that we all got on Clint missed the turning for the train and walked the walkway all the way from terminal E to terminal A <laughs> yeah. taking him about 45 <laughs> minutes while we all stood around a baggage claim being like where's Clint it was very funny we thought we d- he didn't make it through customs with his <laughs> his one bag he took on the whole trip which was one rucksack <laughs> a rucksack a normal size rucksack <laughs> not like the sort of thing you'd take to Glastonbury or go camping wearing <laughs> yeah. or go up Mount Everest wearing like, just a normal a, size like bag like a school bag the- <laughs> yeah, for 10 days oh it was very funny what a great guy what a guy love clint uh so yeah we're gonna have uh, we're gonna be looking at the offensive positions in the upcoming draft with clancy and sherry coming up ollie first shall we do a bit of news yep yeah. literally as we released the last show we weren't that wasn't the only thing that was released on that day des bryant no longer a dallas cowboy can yeah. we just say that the dallas cowboys have absolutely screwed des in this situation tell me why you think so it's been understated this but the Cowboys, by not releasing him right at the start, when we had these huge inflated markets for the likes of Alan Robinson, mm-hmm. etc., where they all got, 
You remember, we've talked about this on the podcast before. A lot of wide receivers got overpaid. They waited to release him. And now he's sitting with no huge market. A lot of teams going, drafts in eight days' time. What if our number one receiver falls to us in the second round? Yeah, yeah. We get a guy cheap for four years instead of having to go out and pay Des Bryant a lot of money when he's on the tail end of his career. Maybe there'll be a better market for him post-draft because people miss out on the receivers they want, but I think it's much more likely there's less of a market after the draft. Um, I think he's got a good chance of landing in Baltimore. Seems like a likely spot for him. They need red zone threats there in a big way, and that's what he offers. Um, San Francisco, from a purely kind of scheme fit potential I mean he's not a guy who runs a lot of routes which isn't useful Mm. but as a pure red zone threat you're almost using him like a big tight end at that point that's something that you noticed with Jimmy Garoppolo the last five games of the season they were very good at getting to the 20 to the 15 a lot of field goals in those last five games a lot of games won 15 to 9 with five Robbie Gould field goals so that's a fit but I don't know if it's a um, don't know if it's a culture fit after the stuff with Ruben Foster, considering Richard Sherman's now in the building being all bombastic, I don't, I don't want Des Bryant in San Francisco, to be honest. Green Bay has been discussed as a possible landing spot. Yeah. Devontae Adams, Des, Jimmy Graham. Yeah. It's an interesting set. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it's fascinating with Des. If he was a nicer, better human being, I think he'd be on a team already, probably. That's a great shout. That's a great shout. Someone like... Um, do the Dolphins need a wide receiver? I know we would have heard it from Simon Clancy if he, that he was... I'd, any... be, I'd be amazed if he ends up there. There's talk about him staying in the NFC East. I mean, I guess Washington Has maybe he... makes some sense because... He's tweeted something about the Giants as well, but I can't see... It... I can't see the Giants at all. I don't see the this... point in the Giants. Yeah. Washington makes sense in terms of what they need, but again, not a guy who runs a lot of different routes, and what Jay Gruden asks you to do is to do a lot of crossing stuff a lot of stuff near the line a lot of you know it's all very schematic that's how they get guys open and that's not what Dez does Dez is a big physical guy great in one-on-one and two-on-one matchups but he doesn't you know he's not going to offer you intricacy where would you let's have a, a slightly left field option of where you think would be quite a good place for him to go I think Atlanta I'm not saying it necessarily will happen and I don't think their cap space is particularly great. But him alongside Julio Jones would Julio be... Julio Jones. Julio. It really should be Julio or Julio. But him alongside Julio, Julio would Jones. be really interesting because kind of similar players. Julio is obviously a, a far better receiver, younger, but it would take some of the heat off Julio. And they don't really have, apart from Mohamed Sanu, who is a bona fide I'm, number I, two. I, 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 I don't know. If they keep both running backs there... Uh, then I'm kind of fine with what they're already doing. That's a good point. Catch good guys point. who can catch out of the backfield. Uh, I think they could do with maybe a real playmaking tight end, and that's kind of almost what Des Bryant might be at this point. They've got one. Coming on. up through the International Player Development Programme, Alex Gray! You've done a great job there, yeah, buddy. You're welcome. Austin Hooper, when I, spoke to, uh, when I spoke to him after the game that we saw against... The Cowboys. It was. Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> oh my god. That's amazing. He's hot takes. Oh, Hannah's hot takes. Can you please play that? Yeah. People uh, need to hear this. This is a new feature on the Nat Coombs show on Talksport Two. And Ollie, what have you done? Well, I was asked to do it this way, and uh, I'm. You're the producer. You make the final decision. Well, on I this. kind of figured that I. Well, you. It, it, yeah. I kind of figured. Come on. That yeah. So here it is. I think you'll find it's Hunter's hot take time. My brief was: Can you make it camp? I've never been more disappointed. Well, I think it's a bit kind of it's business timey. That's so, that's what I've gone for. Some of the behaviour that you've displayed while we've been away in America, and yet this is the most disappointed I've ever been in you. All right, all right. Uh, CJ Anderson has been released by the Denver Broncos. Um, I think he's still got potential to have an NFL career. Miami is an interesting landing spot for me because he was linked with there in a trade a while ago. They went after him when he was a restricted free agent a while ago. So that's one to keep an eye out on. Well, they've on. just signed... Um, what's his face? Your man. Our Frank man. Gower. The guy that we both love, and I think he probably loves me more than you. Probably. Uh, yeah, Frank Gore. So they've just signed him. So what, Kenyon Drake, him... 
Tangor is basically on a veteran minimum who can be cut quite easily. Oh, okay. okay. Like, I'd be amazed if he's on the roster come day one if they go and get CJ Anderson or somebody in the draft. Um, Eric Kendricks, Vikings linebacker, signs a $15 million five-year deal. Amazing that when you consider where they were a year and a half, two years ago, that Eric Kendricks has developed in that time to become the more vital piece in that linebacking core and Anthony Barr very well could be out of the building next year good really what's your beef oh because he hit Aaron Rodgers no it's fine it was a late hit it wasn't anything malicious I forgot that was Anthony Barr There there was nothing malicious in it there was quite a lot of malice in your voice then though buddy yeah well malice um So that was slightly surprising. Sam called James Harrison. Is he going to um, is he going to go straight into the Hall of Fame? That's the big question. Retired former Steeler. What do you think? Uh, and uh, former Steeler retiring from the NFL. Steelers legend, legendary bod, legendary workout videos. Yeah, yeah pushing weights on crates. Here's the thing: I, when I was first getting into the NFL, kind of. 15, 16 years ago. So as James Harrison was just coming up, and there's a period of time from maybe like 2007 through 2011, including the year that he won Defensive Player of the Year, only undrafted player to ever do that, Mm -hmm. that he was absolutely dominant. And he was dominant at a time when you had Terrell Suggs, when you had Eric Reid, when you had... um, You know, unbelievable... Eric Reid? What? Uh, Ed Reid, not Eric Reid thinking too much about the current safety market when you had Ed Reed in the league when you had to, for him to win defensive player of the year over players like that shows how important he was at one point yeah I actually probably would take Terrell Suggs over him career long Robert Mathis is another one you've got a few really interesting pass rushers who are all retiring around the same time which often you end up seeing that kind of backlog of players Mathis has the ridiculous numbers as being a pure pass rusher Dwight Freeney will be another one who'll be with his with his sack numbers will be in the conversation Freeney spin yeah I I think you'll see that probably long term all of those guys get in eventually but maybe we, it takes a little while Harrison doesn't go in straight away but it takes five or six years mm. and then he gets in you know when there's a weaker class year one year maybe yeah okay yeah. Yeah, I'm, with you. I'm with you I'm with you on that I think that's a good a good assessment of uh, of people in and around his sort of class as it were so yeah I'm, I'm with you on, on, I'm on board with you there any other bits of news we need to get to Ollie Hunts Nick Mangold Oh, Nick Mangold, what a guy. Yeah. He's uh, signing a one-day contract with the Jets to retire as a Jet. Uh, and we interviewed him when he came over to London two summers ago, and he was an utter delight. He's, he's a real Anglophile, isn't he? He yeah. loves he loves us. He's an Anglophile, and he's a, good th- he's a b- good thinker as well. He's a guy, you know, we're talking about going into this draft and someone like Josh Rosen and everyone's like, he thinks for himself, not just all about football. How are we going to handle that? Some of the great players in the league are great thinkers as well and, and Nick Mangold I really enjoyed having kind of a, a wider conversation with him so um, yeah I was a big big fan of his and uh, he uh, he did a great service for that team for many years good player Joe Staley is Joe Staley retired? no he's agreed terms on a new contract has that just happened? Uh, about a couple of hours ago Oh, I was doing Wigan against Oxford United in the League One. I didn't see that. What are the terms? Uh, he will now make... He was originally due to make £11 million combined for 2018-2019. Uh, As per Rappoten, uh, he'll make £17.4 million in total. This is a stadium you'll get a raise from 5.5 to 8.72. Um, is that over? It's still, So it's still a two-year? It's just a newly negotiated deal? Yeah, I think he's going to get... Uh, no, no, no. He was originally due to make 11 million. Yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, it's a newly negotiated deal, increasing the amount he's going to earn to s- by 6.4 million. But still just a two year term. Yeah, it looks like it. Um, I guess what they've probably done is front loaded that really heavily. They've yep. probably looked at it and gone uh, a big signing bonus as well as a big salary. You said the salary is about 8 odd million for this year. Yeah, it doesn't say how much the signing bonus is. I suspect is, that will then have a signing bonus in the region of, you know, 3, 4, 5 million dollars on top of that. It's, uh, it makes total sense. Joe Staley is a, a blue chip player for this team um, and he's still to the end of his career in terms of his age so you get you pay him a lot of money this year to keep him around for the next two years and much like they've done with 
the Jarrett McKinnon contract and many others, front load it massively while we've got all this cap space and then as we build the team, as we re-sign some of the as we sign some of these rookies that we've picked up high in the first round over the last few years. Total sense. Absolutely fine. I kind of feel nice, sensible John Lynch action. I kind of feel offensive lineman is a position where uh you only get better with age, really. Up until a point, obviously. Yeah, of course. But the 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 amount of reps that you make and the the repetition of that and the amount of starts, etc., all of that, you just get... I think you need to have that, obviously, the, um, the, the, the talent there in the first place, but I think you just get better and the experience really does count because your body can continue doing the same sort of things. Look at Joe Thomas. You know, the longevity that he had until actually one of his knees gave, gave way. And then he just decided, I don't want to come back from this. And Joe Thomas is an interesting one because he played at quite a high level from day one. But I think you're absolutely right, particularly in a modern NFL. And we'll talk about this coming up because we're going to talk about the offensive linemen. There are very few high-end oh. tackles coming out in, in these drafts. And that has partially to do with the, the just the general quality, but also a lot to do with schemes in college that they don't play to a pro system, the quality of the defences they face. And it does take a lot of tackles two years, three years, before they get up to a really dominant level. Look at someone like um, Lane Johnson out of the same draft year that we had Eric Fisher and Luke Jokel yeah. go one and two. Lane Johnson went th- number four, fourth overall in that draft to the Eagles and we felt was a reach at that point even though we'd already had two tackles off the board he's by far ended up being the best tackle out of that draft and he's now probably one of the best right tackles in the league and it just you know it does take a few years now so I think you're absolutely right and Staley will also do a lot for that room he's a really good guy he's really a great dressing great locker room guy They'll bring in more young talent that he will work with, and crucially, it's it's uh, it's paramount paramount for the 49ers to have experienced quality guys protecting their prized asset in Jimmy G at the back. Uh, another little bit of ba- breaking news: the Bucks have uh, picked up J- Jameis Winston's uh, fifth year option, twenty point something million. I mean, it, it was kind of expected, but it really is. The, it's all or nothing. Ha! Uh, you're welcome. It's all or nothing <laughs> on on Jameis Winston. We, for this uh, here's, here's what I think we should do. I've just decided because you made that joke. We should record the ins and outs for the other podcast on say Friday because I'll have been to the all or nothing party on Thursday then and watched the screening of the first episode. What, what, don't don't pretend like you weren't invited. I literally me? copied you in on an email. What email? And was like you should come. Except it starts at six thirty and you don't finish work till seven. Yeah. Don't start. You're not playing this game. I'm any. tired. Not in this. <laughs> I, <laughs> not in the new season. I literally haven't had game. a day off for three weeks from either excess or work, and I just need to rest. So I, I can't. I can't handle your nonsense today. You're so grouchy. I am really grouchy. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go to bed. Grouchy McGrouch. Right. Should we throw to uh, uh, my conversation with him? When I say conversation. If you've ever heard me on a podcast before, speak as little as you do for the next 40 minutes. You'll be absolutely stunned. Oh, I'm definitely downloading this one. <laughs> this becomes the Matt <laughs> oh, Sherry and Simon Clancy show oh. as we talk offensive <laughs> positions in the 2018 draft. So the draft is less than a week away, or maybe about a week away. I can't really figure it out at this point anymore. Uh, so we're going to talk about the offensive side of the ball on today's show. So joining us, Gridiron editor Matthew Sherry. Hello, Matthew. Hey, well, how's it going? That was a pleasure to be on the Will Gavin show. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, feature writer and draft specialist, uh, Simon Clancy. Hello, mate. Hello, mate. How are you? Yeah, good, buddy. Very well. Very well, indeed. So, look, just to start off, we'll, we'll look through position by position on the offensive side of the ball. But what should people be looking out for when it comes to the offensive positions in the 2018 NFL draft? What should people be? Look- I mean, interesting quarterbacks in the you know pressure on teams so great now to to draft quarterbacks high. So you know, there's an interesting five or six quarterbacks at the top end, um, all with their flaws, all with their talents. Uh, I think it's a really strong running back group. I think it's probably a sort of a C plus wide receiver group with a few caveats. I think it's a really good tight end group, uh, and I think offensive line. It's a pretty average. It's a very average tackle group. Although I do like some of the interior alignment, but the, you know it kind of goes back to the old, um, you know, changes in and uh, movement in college offenses uh, in terms of lots of shotgun, 
uh, lots of wide formations. So uh, I think that you're seeing year on year a sort of a, a decline in ability for people to play tackle. Um, but overall, I don't think it's too bad. Um, starting off then with the with the quarterbacks, I think a lot of people have heard a lot of stuff about Donald, Allen, Rosen and, and Mayfield, the guys at the top. I mean, just very quickly, Sherry and Clancy, we'll t- I think we'll talk about these guys in more depth. We're going to do the mock draft episode next week. So I think we'll talk about these guys as we pick them for teams. But there has been some talk about five, even six quarterbacks backs making it into the first round of this draft so going beyond the big four we've heard so much about what do you make of the guys just on the fringe of that group yeah I mean I I think they're all interesting Um, I think Mason Rudolph's it's difficult I mean they've they've all got such positives and negatives and that's kind of the story of the whole class except to me for Mayfield who I know Clancy agrees we've got him as our number one guy and I, and I actually think Mayfield as a prospect is certainly to me kind of maybe not at Carson Wentz level, but in recent years for me, the best of the prospects. But then I would put the rest of them, I would probably put Mayfield and then Darnold and Rosen on a, a slightly below, but then the rest of them, I would mix them all in together. I, I would say that, Luke Falk is interesting from Washington State, although from an air raid offense, which which terrifies teams. Mason Rudolph is is another guy who is interesting. I just think it's all about where these players fit with which teams, which is obviously what the draft is all about. And I think that we could see six. I really do. And I mean, I think that would be... Would that be the first time since the 83 draft when... It was Kelly, Marino and Elway. Is that right? Would that six be the first time since I think so, yeah. I yeah. think so. I mean, one of the guys that might squeak in the back end, but only in a specific offence because he doesn't have a great arm, is Kyle Laletta of Richmond. Yeah. He was outstanding at the senior bar. I mean, this is a guy with great accuracy, very good mechanics, just lacks the kind of the arm strength that you, you, know, that you would require. But in a system offence entirely suited for him or one with which you build around him a kind of West Coast you know I'm certainly not comparing him to Joe Montana but Joe Montana had a you know comparatively weak arm when he came out of Notre Dame I think Laletta has Garoppolo type mental and physical ability I just think he lacks the Garoppolo arm but he has much more of a Joe Montana arm and if you get this kid in the right system you know because he makes the right decisions he's a he's a team leader he's a you know incredibly productive he and you look at the little things that he does well. You know, he he manipulates linebackers and safeties out of passing lanes. Um, he doesn't automatically look for the check down. He he's strong and tough in the pocket. He'll play under center. He'll play the pistol. He'll play the shotgun. He can throw on the move. He really spins the ball tightly. You know, he's a good good quarterback. And if you get him in the right system, I think you could you could uh, find somebody very interesting there. Right. I, I think he is a guy as well. And we'll chat about this mock draft wise. Who, to me, as a Patriots fan. It's interesting that there's been a lot of talk about Jackson, but I think he's the guy who most fits the Patriots in, in every conceivable way. And I, I think there's some really interesting potential undrafted guys in this class of quarterback as well. There's there's a there's a kid called Chad Canoff who went to Princeton and set all kinds of Ivy League completion percentage records, who I think certainly is worth a late-round flyer. And, and I think there's... I think some other guys, Mike White of Western Kentucky, he's a guy more people are talking about now, and another guy who great accuracy and and kind of had a good college career, but is now rising up boards slightly. I think so. I think there are some interesting guys lower down, and and I think my temptation would be outside of Lamar Jackson, who I'm obsessed in and and think that to to me personally, I would put him right in there with kind of the top two or three guys but I can understand why people are dropping them but outside of that if you weren't going to get uh, either Mayfield Jackson if you're willing to kind of build around Jackson in the way that you need to and maybe Rosen and Darnold I would almost be tempted to go for one of these other guys because I think that similar to the other guys they all have flaws and I think even I mean Josh Allen going first overall would be completely mind-boggling to me I don't see a huge difference between Josh Allen and some of these much lower down guys that we're mentioning and certainly not like 50 places in the drafts difference so I think you might see a lot of teams who who look at the developmental guys later 
in this draft and think that maybe they're the kind of guys that want to go for instead. But, I, mean, I was so thinking here. about He's this. I was just because I was thinking about this with our mock draft that I, I am. I, I think Josh Allen may well drop out the first round of our mock draft because none of the three of us feel positive on him. So unless Ollie goes and takes him for some quarterback needy team in the middle or back end, I think he may not even make the first round in ours. I mean, he'll he'll de- he'll definitely. I mean, on uh, you know next next Thursday he'll obviously definitely go. I suspect very high. Um, and, and you know there are going to be teams in our mock draft, certainly like Buffalo at twelve, you know the Chargers, um, the Ravens potentially. Uh, I mean even uh, the Patriots potentially, who you know are going to be looking for uh, that long term, you know replacement for Tom Brady. I mean, you know I, I don't understand how, you know Allen has a lot of physical. It's fascinating that that teams employ these incredibly intelligent people. And look, look, we're just three guys four guys on the internet so what do we know but year after year after year the same sort of thing happens where these these kids with incredible arms and i don't think i've ever seen an arm as strong as uh, as alan's but he's a monument to inaccuracy he is uh, and, and that has you know that has predicated his career at uh, wyoming you, you don't become a 70 percent passer in the nfl when you're a 55 56 percent passer in college the, the football. only the say, only example that i could find of a guy who was below 60, who you would say has had a consistently decent modern-day NFL Matt career, Ryan. is Matt Stafford. Matt Stafford. Well, Matt Ryan, actually, uh, was also an under-60% passer. But, you know, you look at both Stafford and Ryan's senior season, which is where their numbers went down uh, fairly fairly strongly, is that um, Ryan at Boston College was running essentially... I mean, they didn't run the ball at Boston College. I think Matt Ryan threw it 691 times as a senior. Wow. Which which was more than any other quarterback in uh, any level of, uh, of college football in the U.S., apart from one. Same with Matt Stafford as a senior at Georgia. They didn't really run the ball. It was a bombs-away offense. Same with, with Matt Ryan. They just threw it and threw it and threw it and threw it. And obviously, when you're going to throw the ball 691, 651 times as a senior, then your completion percentage is going to go down. Two, I think I think Josh Allen threw it 254 times as a senior at Wyoming, and yet his completion percentage is in the is in the 50s. But it never got it. It never got any better. Like no, he people didn't say, improve oh, at any point over. I mean, and you could argue that he had more talent in 16 than 17. But then it wasn't like 17 was a regression. It was just exactly the same. It's almost like we've seen the guy he is. What happens ultimately? I think when you say there's a lot of intelligent people judging this is. A lot of head coaches look and think, well, you can't, you can't coach arm strength, but I can coach everything else. And, and the reality is I could name 20 guys who they've said that about, be it Jake Lockett, Hackenberg, Connor Cook, you know, guys like that who had those insane arms in the draft, but it, it doesn't materialise. Yeah, it almost list, never materialises. The list of guys under 60% will make you wonder why anybody ever considers a passer under 60% yeah. in terms of first-round quarterbacks. You know, it's the Jim Drucker Millers. It's all those kind of guys who flamed out once they got to the NFL because they were inaccurate quarterbacks, and that's what Josh Allen is. And it's funny that um, when you were talking about coaching people up, the, the other one, that I, the other prospect I think is interesting on that front, when we talk about the top guys, Sam Darnold is a guy who has been accurate with not particularly good footwork, and that's what excites me, because you can coach footwork, but you can't necessarily coach accuracy in someone. So if he's accurate with bad footwork, what's he going to be if you've got a good coach working with him? That's yeah. the sort of thing that, that gets me excited. Not, well, he's got a big arm, but he can't do anything with it. And the thing, the thing with Darnold is, I mean, we have seen, there's, there's clear, it's like when people say Mayfield's only played bad defences. Well, go and watch the game against Ohio State or the Georgia game last year. Those aren't bad defences. Those were two top 10 defences in college football. Like, but And it's the same with Darnold. At least you can go back to 16 in particular where there were elite-level performances against elite competition in elite moments in big games. And and he's a kid as well. I mean, Darnold's, what, 20, 21? So he's, he's really young to be coming out in the draft as well. So absolutely, you can project the project potential there. You I, mean, can't, I can't look at Josh Allen's record and say, yeah, there's this amazing game other than maybe the potato ball from or whatever, the Idaho potato ball or whatever it was his, his numbers <laughs> his numbers against division one uh, uh, and against ranked teams are absolutely abominable I mean I don't have yeah. them in front of me at the moment but I mean they are about as bad as it gets in terms of incompletions interception I, I mean his touchdown to interception ratio was like 
two to seventeen or something. It's insane. Ollie would have done a better job. He's got Jamarcus, Jamarcus Russell could throw the ball seventy yards downfield. Yeah. I'm sure Josh Allen can as well. It doesn't mean anything, does it? Uh, right. We we said we were going to only gloss over the Here quarterbacks. There you so go, go I on. found it. Go on, then. Josh, Josh Allen against Power 5 schools. Three games, Nebraska, Oregon, and Iowa. All three defeats. He was 48 of 96 for 427 yards, one touchdown, and eight picks, which is a 74% college quarterback rating, which equals 31% NFL passer rating. I mean, and it's not like that's a murderer's row of defences, either. No, it's not no. either, is it? It's Power 5 schools, but Oregon... Never have a good defense. No, Nebraska, Nebraska have been terrible yeah. for several years. Who was Iowa's the other defense, one? Iowa's defense isn't bad, you know. Josh yeah, Jack, Iowa Chris have a really defense you know, year so. in year out. That's the only one where you would say a good, almost certainly a good. Although I, if that was last season, Iowa's defense wasn't as good as it was in previous years. But yeah, I just don't see it. I don't see it at all. If he goes first overall, I just I give up. Uh, yeah, and, and it, it would be so classic for the Browns. <laughs> no, you to won't. Do that. You'll give up for five minutes in a drop, and then you'll be drawn right back oh, I, into I mean, it, Simon I, Clancy. I, I, could, you know. I, could, I couldn't care. I couldn't. Care. I mean, that's what the Browns want to do. But I, it does not strike me that that's a John Dorsey move. It really does. I mean, to me, Sam Darnold is a John Dorsey quarterback with Baker Mayfield. As a, you know, to me, that Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, and Josh Rosen are QBs one, two, and three, and then there's a, a significant gap then to, to Lamar Jackson and, and Josh Allen four and five. And it I can't see. It sounds like this is a situation brewing where Josh Rosen could be available in the early teens. Makes which no, as a I Patriots mean, fan excites me hugely yeah. because it's ludicrous. I mean, I mean, easily, I mean, the Dolphins should take him if he's there. To be honest, Sherry, he's easily the most NFL ready of, of the group. I mean, he you know he's just a, a really really good quarterback, and there's you know I I don't understand how anybody uh, and this whole stuff about oh he's a millennial and he well. Every quarterback coming out as a millennial, and he has an opinion about stuff. But you're telling me that Aaron Rodgers or, or Tom Brady don't have opinions about stuff? And they don't have interest outside of football. I mean, uh, it makes absolutely no sense to me, none whatsoever. Giants are two. That's where I want Rosen. Right. Let's talk the running backs. You said Clancy that you thought that this is a, a strong, deep class, and there's been a lot of talk about where Saquon Barkley will go. Obviously, out of Penn State, but. It always kind of stuns me. Whenever we talk about running backs in the top five, top ten, you look at the overall rate that those guys have have turned into true game-changing players. But actually, when you then look and say beyond that, I think there are a whole bunch of guys who can be year one difference makers. That's another reason for me that you think, why would you take a running back right at the top of the draft? Yeah, I mean... It's interesting because Barkley is a fairly transcendent talent. I, for me, he's better than Ezekiel Elliott was coming out. Uh, he's the best back I've seen since Adrian Peterson came out of Oklahoma. Uh, he can do it all. It's not to say he doesn't have his flaws. He certainly does. You know, sometimes for a 232-pound guy, you'd like to see him not kick it outside so much. He doesn't finish runs quite as well as you'd like him to, to do. You'd like him to occasionally just take the three yards that are there instead of ending up losing five because he thinks he can get 75. So it, it's the little coachable things that I think he can be a little bit inconsistent in pass protection at times. But listen, he's a phenomenal running back. He's got great hands out of the backfield. Generally, he'll you know he will pass protect really really well, and he's a grade A human being. You don't have to listen to him talk. You know, read the story in the magazine this 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 month, the draft issue about what he's like. He's a great kid, and I think he's going to have a terrific career. Yeah, there are some concerns sometimes about when he gets between the A and the B gap and things you'd like to see him do better, but come on, overall, this is a really good kid. And then you kick it on through, you, you know, Sony Michelle out of Georgia, just a wonderful running back, kind of cross between Ricky Williams and Alvin Kamara. Darius Geis, tough as they come, LSU running back, absolute physical force. He will knock you over. He'll smash you in the mouth. Nick Chubb. You know, all the way down, you can go down to kids like Akram Wadley and, you know, the Iowa running back, who are all offered different things. Philip Lindsay at Colorado. It's a terrific group, I think. You, you know, if you're looking for a certain thing, you will absolutely find it. Rashad Penny, San Diego State, just an absolute... Four, the, no, there's no player in, in college football who made people miss as much as Rashad Penny. I think if you're looking for a running back, this is definitely the draft to find it. Which is why it always then stuns me that you see someone like... The Browns, who have so many picks, going out and paying somebody like Carlos Hyde when they've already got guys in the building. Like I just uh, any, any running back contract from from the off season. I mean, 
that's from free agency looks worse and worse with every time I look at the the running backs in the draft. I mean, doesn't it? It's it's and think about how cheap you're getting them on four year deals in the fourth round, fifth round for literally peanuts. Like even if they only last four years and then they get a big contract, like it, when you've got this good a class, it makes almost no sense to have signed any running back for significant money this year. I mean, you, I mean, you can draft two or three guys and just yeah. chance your arm. Three guys in the sixth and seventh round, and you could guarantee that one of them would be exactly what you hoped he would be. You're going to pick up a guy like Mark, Mark Walton of Miami in probably the fourth round because he came off an injury. He's a guy that averaged 7.6 yards a carry before he hurt his ankle. He is significantly the best back in pass protection in the draft. You'll, you'll, you'll get him in the fourth round area. John Kelly of Tennessee, same kind of guy, you know good at everything will catch the ball will run will block again fourth round area Justin Jackson of Northwestern I mean these kids you can pick them up sixth seventh round they'll end up being starts for you or significant kind of off the bench off the bench rotation guys or or, or special teams guys you know Bo Scarborough of Alabama yeah you know he ran a 451 at at, at 6'2 229 pounds he can get to the edge fits an outside outside zone scheme he's going to you know, you buckle your chin strap if you think you're going to be, be bringing Bo Scarborough down. You, you know, you mix him with a lighter guy. There's a great thunder and lightning combination. I just I think it's a terrific class. And look, you look at the last couple of drafts, your Kareem Hunts, your Alvin Kamaras, these yeah. guys going in the third round who are making a uh, second round, may, who are making really significant contributions. It's a strong, it's one of those things, it's a strong class that almost will mean that once we've seen Saquon Barkley go, you'd be surprised if we saw more running backs taken high, because everyone will be thinking, well, I don't need to take a running back here, because I can get a guy a little bit later on. I I still don't get, like with Barkley, I I, I agree with Clancy, more so than I have in other times we've mentioned about and watched him a bit more, I can kind of see the high band from reading Simon's piece as well, it's a great piece and kind of really delves into his character and, and all that is just everything you could ever wish for but still like unless you think that running back is the absolute missing piece to you challenging for the Super Bowl the following season I just can't for the life of me especially in this draft even contemplate taking one in the top 15 picks so we've got yep. so we've got a great running back class which people won't be reaching for and uh, by the sounds of it a pretty poor wide receiver class where we're going to see guys going probably a lot higher than they deserve to be because it's not particularly strong. It depends what you're after, really. You've got, you know, because the NFL, look, it's such a passing league and that, you know, three and four wide receiver sets are pretty much base offense now. You know, much is on defense where nickel is essential. Most teams are in nickel about 75% of the time defensively. So, Again, it's it, pick your poison. If you're looking for the Julio Jones, AJ Green type number one, then you know you might struggle a bit more. Cortland Sutton, probably the the kid from SMU that the Ollie loves, six four, two hundred eighteen pounds, runs a four fifty one. He's going to be your kind of guy. I mean, Calvin Ridley for me is the number one guy, but he's six foot. He's one hundred eighty nine pounds, so you know he could be a slot guy. But he's an absolutely outstanding route runner. I mean, Matthew and I on the sideline for two games last season, LSU and Mississippi State, and, and you get to watch a guy like him close up, and you see the footwork at the top of the stem. You see him. You see him in and out of his breaks. You see how clean his hips are, how he uses his head. I mean, he's a really, really fine player. Um, but then you know, there's two guys I really like: DJ Moore of Maryland and Christian Kirk who are going to be return guys who are going to be slot receivers and they're going to have you know they are going to have really really good careers and they're probably going to end these these are top 40 picks could sneak in the back end of the first round but again you look further down you know uh, uh, there's a kid at Notre Dame Equinemius St. Brown you know he, he'll probably end up going in the second or third round area nobody's talking about he's 6 foot 5 214 pounds ran a 448 at the Notre Dame Pro Day this is a kid that could just burst onto the scene, you know, in terms of a, a weapon for a team in the right system. Anthony Miller at Memphis, one of my favourite players in the entire draft, undersized, 5'11", 201 pounds, just catches everything, coming off a, a, a foot injury. But again, you kind of pick your poison. It's not, if you're, if you're out there looking for those great, for the Antonio Browns and for the, for the Julios and the AJs, you're probably not going to find them, but you're going to find jigsaw pieces that will really complement what you do as an offence. I mean, the only thing I would, the only thing I would disagree on is I fully believe Ridley could be Antonio Brown. Like, okay. 
I, I mean, for me with Ridley, it's not just the way he gets open, it's how open he gets because yeah. of how much of a technician he is. And the reality is, people are kind of bringing him down a bit because he didn't have a great vertical jump and et cetera, et cetera. The key to playing wide receiver in the NFL is running routes and getting open yeah. that way. That is, athleticism's great, and if you can get somebody that does both, like a Julio Jones, then you've got a transcendent Hall of Fame type player. And those don't come around very often. But I think Ridley, as a, from a pure technical standpoint, Ridley, Ridley's one of the best wide receivers I've ever seen in college football. In terms of purely understanding the keys to being a wide receiver, I, I really like Ridley. And I, I'd love to see him go. I, I, two guys from Alabama who I love, and I'd actually love to sit and watch a whole day of them playing against each other, is Ridley and Minga Fitzpatrick, who are just guys for me who fit the modern game and just two guys who, for me, are guaranteed Pro Bowl slash All Pro level players at some point. That's a big statement. Do, I mean, do do you think when it comes to the when it comes to these wide receivers, then do are we going to see you say sneaking in at the back of the first round? But are we going to see more than just Ridley? More than just I, I was thinking maybe two in the first round uh, with the fellow you mentioned, I mean, I, Ollie. I, mean, Lutz, I, but... I think Ridley Sutton. DJ Moore, Christian Kirk, potentially G- DJ Chark of, uh, of LSU, who, who ran the 434 at the combine at 6'2", uh, 200 pounds, has potential to do so. Uh, you think, just, sorry, do you think he could... That's amazing, because when we went to LSU at the time, Mel Kuyper had literally just said, I think this guy was talked about a late-round prospect, and with his late-season form, I think he could be a day-two guy now. We are now yeah. talking about him sneaking into the back end of the first round. I love Mel, but he was, um, I mean, he was a, uh, I think he was a day two prospect for a while for me, I've got to say. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, I'm not saying he will get in the first round. Michael Gallup of Colorado State is the other receiver who some teams like in that sort of 25 to 45 area that you might just see a sort of surprising first round sneak into the, you know, had 100 catches last year, almost 1,500 yards, seven touchdowns, played well at the senior bowl, ran a 4 5 0. He's, uh, you know, he could be one of those guys that sneaks into that. I mean, I don't see it, but, you know, you're on warning in case he does. I would guess four go in the first round, because there is always a run on wide receivers in the, yeah. in the 20s. Always. Yeah. What about uh, tight end, then? You said this is, you think this is a strong class, but uh, I look at it again, uh, Simon, and the guys at the top end, I think my problem, it, has, it seems to always be every year, is I like my tight end to be an all-rounder. I like them to be able to be a receiver, but if you're not blocking, then you're just a glorified wide receiver to me, and there's not a lot of guys that seem to be two-way guys in this draft. But I suppose how much in the modern game does that matter the same as it did five or 10 or 12 years ago? Do you know what I mean? Uh, because, because you know, a, a lot of teams are running, you know, YISO with the tight end, uh, sort of the, that, that sort of J- Jimmy Graham, you know, just because of the way that the, the, the that the passing offences have become so huge. I, I just wonder about whether or not, you know, I would absolutely invest in the tight end position, but all of these guys have got, uh, have got question marks. You know, Ian Thomas, who I really like from Indiana, is a bit of a Charles Clay clone, try saying that, a bit of alliteration for you. You know, you watch his tape against Ohio State, he goes one-on-one against Jerome Baker, and Baker's going to be probably a day-two linebacker, undersized, but will cover for a three-down guy. You know, Thomas really puts him to the cleaners and his acceleration out of his breaks is phenomenal. Jasicki, my Jasicki can't block. You know, he's not going to block at all. But, you know, down the field, he's going to be a threat for teams down the field, down the seam. You know, someone like a Green Bay, for example, he, he would flourish. Mark Andrews has been the best tight end in college for the last three years, as far as I'm concerned. Hayden Hurst has some of that kind of Travis Kelsey nastiness in him. He's, of the, of the higher guys, he's probably the, the guy that can do it all better than anybody but he's older he's going to be 25 when the season starts um you know dallas Go- dallas goda is another guy under si- um, uh, you know under um under um uh, the highest level of, of competition you know at south dakota state so he's uh you know there are question marks about him moving up not a great route runner not a great blocker but somebody again in that jaziki category who could you know who could really impress and uh, you look at his numbers you look at his physical you know, the guy is, what, 6'4 and a half, 260 pounds, 34-inch arms, 10-inch hands, 23 bench reps, uh, the combine. I mean, the guy's a physical freak. So 
again, a bit like the wide receiver class. You kind of sort of pick your poison a little bit, but the guys are out there if you really if you really want them. And I think uh, it, it's I think, worth yeah, saying think... on that is that NFL coaches have. Uh, egos the size of Will Gavin's and they believe that if they see a guy with all the physical tools they're like yeah I could coach him to be what he needs to be not necessarily look at what he's been able to do so far so that's why I think a lot of these prospects do end up higher than I expect but I I mean, if, if you're looking for those if you're looking for the pure kind of yeah, there's a couple of guys Will Disley of Washington is one of the best blockers one of the best two three blockers in the draft if you're looking for a for a, a kind of a, a steal, an under the radar guy, Dalton Schultz of Stanford is a six five two forty four. He's the best blocker in the draft. He is a kind of a, a do it all sort of why a little you know similar a little bit to Jason Witten. I think he he's good route runner, good hands, really really good blocker. He's a kind of sleeper tight end that you might end up picking up maybe in the fourth or fifth round and, uh, and turns out to be a you know a really decent pro for you. I think as well with tight ends. I mean. Uh, Travis Kelsey has kind of shown that if you get a guy, uh, to me the key skill is the pass catching and having the physical abilities to become a good blocker. And Kelsey's shown that you can become a serviceable blocker with good coaching if you've got the physical tools. I mean, it's not like Rob Gronkowski's are, are in the draft every year. In fact, they're not in the draft every five or ten year because he is such a transcendent player. And I can think of, I think there's probably three guys in the NFL at tight end who I would consider good to above above good blockers and elitist pass catchers. So that's how rare those guys are to find as well. So it's not like you are going to see a lot of guys who can do it all and do it all well in the draft. All right, let's get on to the real sexy position. You know where we're going to go next, the offensive line. I know uh, we need to talk really, I guess, uh, tackles and interior liners. There's two separate conversations, but uh, listening to guys more knowledgeable than I, much like you two are, sounds like there are a lot of prospects again this year who very well could find themselves playing a different position in in the NFL to where they were at college, being kicked inside, etc. And again, I think for not the first time in recent years, we are looking a lot stronger on the interior than we are on the tackle position. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, for me, the best tackle in the draft is actually a guy who's probably going to end up playing guard, which is Isaiah Wynn of Georgia, who dominated in the toughest conference at left tackle on an island for Georgia in the SEC. Uh, but he's six foot two, 308 pounds, so he, they'll probably kick him inside to go. I mean, I personally would play him at left tackle because I think, he, you know, he's a superb NFL left tackle. There are guys who have done it. You've got your Kelvin Beach yeah, well, and stuff like that who have you know, been smaller guys and been impressive. Absolutely, he was really good at the Senior Bowl. Didn't didn't work out of the combine. He was injured, but I think because he doesn't have ideal length, I think some teams will look to kick him inside. But for me, he would be my number one tackle. And then you know, I mean, I don't know what Matt thinks, but you kind of from that point onwards, it's kind of pick a guy. I like Mike McGlinchey of Notre Dame, but I think he's probably to me he's a right tackle. To me, he's like the kid that um, he's Jack Conklin of uh, of, uh, of Tennessee. Um, a lot of talk about Colton Miller at UCLA, who was Josh Rosen's blindside protector. I'm not a massive fan, I've got to say. I just, you know, he's quick and he's athletic. I, I just, uh, to me, he doesn't have a lot of sand in his pants in terms of, I think he might get bull rushed a little bit. He's not, uh, you know, and he's been, a, he's been inconsistent. B's been injured a lot. That would concern me, you know. He's not played a great deal at left tackle. Then you're looking at guys like, you know, Martin Swankin in Mississippi State, who, who who Matt and I saw last season, Brian O'Neill at Pittsburgh, Orlando Brown at Oklahoma off, off the back of his terrible combine performance. How much can you put that out of your mind and, and focus on, on the game tape? Because at times, for Oklahoma, he dominated. Connor Williams is another kid, the Texas kid who, who tore his ACL and, it, you know, is it, it, coming back and he struggled. <sighs> I don't know. It's you know. There, I think there are guys out there. For me, the guard position is is much is much more interesting. Matt, what do you think of the tackles? Yeah, I'm I'm kind of. It's a bit meh, isn't it? But I think that's is that not going to be the same every year now? I mean, it's I like think, so. I think you may be going to get one or two prospects maximum a year who you would say, yeah, we we think we can start those guys. And and I just think it's. I agree with you about McGlinchey and uh, Conklin. I think there's some similarities there. And I, I love Conklin. The one tackle I've ever got excited about ahead of the draft was was Jack Conklin. And I, and I can see why that would be a comparison. I agree with you as well about about 
I don't think you necessarily have to move Wynn inside to guard. I think you can play him at left tackle. I mean, it's not like he played in the ACC or it, or Conference USA. You know, yeah. he he played elite edge rushers and and held up outstandingly well. So I don't see why he needs to be kicked inside. And I think that if he is kicked inside, massively weakens the the class. And I hope that that doesn't happen. But yeah, I mean, it's it's all about again. It's you often see guys in these positions drafted by teams who don't fit their skill set. So I think that the key again is there are guys who I think you can pick, particularly in the later part of the first round, who might not fit one team at all, but might fit perfectly to a team fit picking in those in those points. So it's all about fitting a guy with your scheme. And I think that outside of of the top guy, I think it's a much of a muchness and it then becomes about teams picking the guy who fits them rather than there being a huge disparity in talent. I think there's like a, all of these guys get elevated slightly because it's such an important position. But I think outside of number one, everybody is on of a similar level and one guy's third guy could be another team's eighth guy, et cetera, et cetera. Here's a couple of potential eighth team guys who could end up, you know, eighth ranked guys who could end up being first or second ranked guys that are just a little bit under the radar. Jamarco Jones of Ohio State, again, played at a very high level in a very good conference against very good players. I think he's a terrific left tackle prospect. Tyrell Crosby of Oregon, again, doesn't automatically strike you as somebody who's going to, you know, when you talk about Oregon, you know, are you looking, are you, definitively going to say he's going to be an NFL left tackle. He could kick to the right side. He was terrific at the senior bowl, apparently interviewed really well. Uh, I think he's a potentially a really, really good player. He, 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 Again, he's been injured, but you watch him opening some of those holes for Royce Freeman and he has a, you know, he's going to run you over. He is a, uh, could potentially be a special kind of player if he's healthy. So look out for a couple of those guys. Glorious. Anything else you would like to comment on on the offensive side of the ball, gentlemen? Do you want to talk a little bit about guards? Oh, yeah. Well, you need to kick it. We haven't got inside yet. I just, we haven't. Yeah, let's head inside. Let's go to the interior. My favourite guys <laughs> on the, all of uh, an NFL team because they're the only ones I think I could probably do that if I could be physically bothered. Maybe. I mean, Quentin Nelson is the standout. You know, he's a likely all-pro. He's a kind of a Logan Mankins, a David DeCastro, uh, Brandon Scherf type guy, but, but potentially... You know, he has the. He should come off the board in the first five or six picks. You should install him straight away at left guard, and he'll end up being a ten-year All-Pro. You know, he has so much natural ability. He is. I mean, he just overwhelms you as a run blocker. He can pass protect. Um, I think most people have him as their number one or number two overall prospect on their boards. I think he's a he's a terrific, terrific player for me. Like I said, win win will kick inside. Will Hernandez of UTEP is an absolute beast. He's a physical. You know, six two three forty moves like a two hundred ninety-five pound guy. He again will run you over in the run game. He's just really well balanced. Uh, just a terrific, I think terrific player. What's amazed me about him as well, because I was doing a bit of work on the on the line uh, this week, just looking at guys, is that you mentioned it. It's three forty, but he was doing some pulling and stuff where you're just like. You know, oh. he, he moves. He looks as lithe as anyone when he's carrying the, the most weight of almost any prospect in the draft. Absolutely. There's a kid at Nevada who I think might sneak into the top 40 picks and may even get into the back end of round one. A kid called Austin Corbett. Um, just look out for him because I think he's a he's one of those guys who's beneath the radar of the kind of the the kind of the average fan, as it were. But I think he may well push into that late first round, early to mid second round area. Versatile kid. Started at left tackle for Nevada, moved to right tackle, but went back to left tackle. So he's six foot four, three ten, really, really athletic. Uh, just, a, just a, a really good player. Some teams might see him as a guard, but potentially he could start at left tackle. I just think he's a guy that could sneak into that top 40, 45 picks, and people go, "Whoa, where's he come from?" So look out for Austin Corbett. I, I think the guards, the the interior linemen in this draft, have the potential to shake up the board more than any other position because there are. There are some, obviously, Nelson is the elite guy and there are a couple of that calibre players. But you look at the modern NFL now as well, like, the dominating players are J.J. Watt for a couple of years, Aaron Donald now, Fletcher Cox, you know. A lot of these dominating pass rushers now are interior guys and, and those are the game wreckers, more so than edge guys. The guys in the middle are the game wreckers and, it, and I think that 
the NFL needs to get on the cycle now of, of I mean interior line play in the NFL historically has been bad in the last 20 years and I think a class like this where you could really start to address that is, is huge and I think it could be I think interior linemen could shape this draft as much as any position that isn't quarterback and I think we will obviously you talk could about see it. a run on these guys I think as I was going to say, we'll obviously talk about it when we get to the defence side of the ball in the next show, but it feels like it's the same on both sides of the ball as well because the interior of the defensive line, the three technique guys, that, that appears to be, outside of the top picks, the guys that are going to potentially be difference makers early on. So, yes, exciting interior line draft coming up. Of, you've also got a couple of potential centres who are going to go in the first round. James of Iowa, who's very athletic. It's going to remind you a bit of a kind of a Marquise Pouncey when he was at Florida, although really struggles... He gets to the second level really well, but struggles to make an impact when he does get there. So that he's going to need to be coached into that. Billy Price of Ohio State is probably not as good as Pat Elfline, who went to Minnesota last year. But Price tore a pectoral muscle when he was doing the bench at the Combine. So obviously that's going to take a bit of time, and that'll probably affect his stock. But he's a kind of top 60 guy. I think one of the guys to really keep an eye on is, is Frank Ragnow of, of Arkansas, who to me is the best center in the draft. Just does everything really well, looks good at the second level, knows who to hit, great technique, you know, is is a knee bender, not a waist bender. And what I mean by that is you never want a guy who's going to bend and lean forwards to block at the waist because it leaves them off balance. If you're on your toes, your knees are bent, that's the position, your hips are square, that's the position that you want to be in. If you're, if you're bending from the waist, it means that you're, you know, you're static and you're easily manipulated by guys like Aaron Donald and Ndamukong and Sue and, and Michael Brockers and these kind of players. So, I think, you know, Ragnar for me, he, he, he had a high ankle sprain and he missed sort of the back end of the season for Arkansas. But he is a kid whose stock is on the rise because I just think teams are looking at him as a potential guard, a potential centre who could easily start and, and from day one and be a 10-year starter. So look out for some of these guys as well. Well, where was Elfline drafted in the end, Clancelot? Because I remember, I mean, he was great for the Vikings this year. And I remember me and you saying that we thought, like, he was one of the, if you were to list 10 guys who you thought, would be guaranteed good NFL starters. He would have been on our list. Where did he end up going last year? I think he was, was a third, third round, or second round. I think he went in the third round. I think he was something like the seventy third. Let me just Google it. He was it. the seventieth pick. Alone. There you go. Do love this so that, that that level of accuracy, Clancy, without even looking it up. Beautiful. There you go. But, but I think I think that makes this an interesting case study for this year because I'd say the guys Simon's mentioned there are similar talents to him. So it'll be interesting to see if that run does happen earlier and whether. Maybe the league is reshaping to, to put more focus on these interior lines. Plug, plug and play starters are, are kind of critical, especially in that you know, especially when you're looking in that sort of. If you're picking late in the second round through to sort of the back end of the fourth round, if you can get, you know, it doesn't have to be a superstar. Like a guy is going to start for you two contracts, eight years, uh, and you're you're not going to have to worry about him. That, I mean, that's what you that's the rock with which your your franchise is built on. So you know, I think these are you know they're critical. Critical picks, critical guys, and you know you're looking for some of these these Ragnars and these these Billy Prices who can come in and just you know you don't have to worry about them and away you go on day one. I think the ideal strategy in that situation is you you have two third round picks. Certainly, this is the way I would look at it. Get one guy like that who we're talking about. Use your other one to take the flyer on the guy who has elite talent but has dropped for character issues or yeah. a medical issue. You know, I think you you can you can have your cake and eat it in the draft if you do it right. Beautiful. Gents, uh, I asked the question again as I was nearly very disrespectful to our garden centre friends. Uh, any other kind of final points you want to push on the offensive side of the ball? Not for me, Clive. Beautiful. Well, uh, we will coming up, we're going to look at the defensive players in the draft in our next show. And then next week, we're going to have our mock draft coming out. We haven't really decided on the format of this, but normally what we like to do is just go, this is what we think they should do rather than what we think they actually will do. Uh, and end up looking very different to what uh, what most people's mock drafts do, where they try and predict where teams are going to go. But yeah, we, we're going to tell GMs just where it's at, boys. Yeah, I mean, uh, and the thing is, somebody asked us on Twitter earlier on and I replied saying, is there any point to mock drafts? And ultimately, there isn't a point to them if you suggest them what you think will happen because nobody has a clue. But they're a great launch pad for kind of discussing the team needs and and kind of manoeuvring around scenarios. So they're going to be quite fun. So I think we definitely choose what we would do rather than 
what we think they'll do, which means Josh Allen may not be drafted in the first round, which would be nice. <laughs> Brilliant stuff, right. Gents, well, I'll say, I'd say I'd chat to you in a couple of days, but we're literally going to do it right now. So uh, thanks all for listening. Back to me and Ollie. Matt Sherry, Simon Clancy joining us on the Gridiron Show. Ollie, quite a pretty simple one today. Any final thoughts? Um, seen two movies recently, Pacific Rim, Silly, Isle of Dogs, I really, I really loved it. I've got a thing for Japanese culture and that kind of animation. I really, really, really liked it. I know you weren't as keen. It sits in the middle for you with the whole Wes Anderson stuff, but I had a thoroughly enjoyable... How long is it? Two hours? We'll go two hours. Thoroughly enjoyable two hours watching it, consuming it. I... Unsurprised to hear that Sticky enjoyed that film. <laughs> yeah, unsurprised. Oi, oi! <laughs> All right, Latch. <laughs> Have you heard that? No, I've not. Do you want to hear it? I want to hear it after finish the show. Okay. Um, but yeah, yeah, I really, really, really loved it. Right, good. I'm glad. I saw Rampage and thoroughly enjoyed myself. Saw Isle of Dogs. Was okay with it. Saw A Quiet Place. Loved it. You should see it. It's too not scary. Too, scary. too scary. Right. Thank you so much for listening, guys. We'll be back. Maybe talking schedule. Definitely Sch- talking schedule. all or nothing. And definitely talking the defensive positions in the 2018 draft later this week. Thank you so much for listening. This has been The Gridiron Show in association with Touchdown Trips. Getting you. Yes, you. In da game. Da game. Da game. The game? The game? Your game. We got game? game. Let's go. Whose game? What's your favourite game? Monopoly. That's not true. I just first game that pops into my head. No, mine's. Uh, I, th- I really like pigeon. What's pigeon? It's a, it's a game. It's a game. I'm not talking to you anymore. I'm done. He really is grouchy, peeps. Fill the trolley with your favourite brands on rollback at Asda. A 38-pack of Fairy Non-Bio Capsules was £8.50, now £5.75. And Lenore Gold Fabric Conditioner was £4, now £2.50. Big brands, small prices. Don't compromise. Asda. Save money, live better. Selected stores subject to availability. Lenore, 1.925 litres. Ends 18th of March.